0: The church. Will you please pray with me? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, in today's text, Jesus is in conversation with his disciples and he asks them two essential questions. Questions that are for the ages. Did you hear them when Susie read them? First, who do people say that I am? And second, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? But let me begin with a confession. In preparation for this sermon, I had some fun with ChatGPT, the recently released artificial intelligence that can be prompted to answer questions and craft meal plans, even write bedtime stories and sermons within seconds. After all, it's Labor Day weekend, and I wondered if ChatGPT could lighten some of my labor for the week. Admittedly, I had been resistant to considering this as a resource, mostly out of fear of opening Pandora's box. But after hearing many friends speak of their highlights of using the platform, I tested prompts like Who is Jesus? And what are some common interpretations of the keys to the kingdom of heaven? And because I was curious, write a theologically progressive 1,200-word sermon on Matthew 16, 13 to 20. (laughs) And because I know you're wondering, it wasn't half bad. And as I've heard other friends in ministry say, to similar prompts, it wasn't my sermon, but it wasn't bad. I'll go ahead and say that ChatGPT did not simplify or shorten the process of writing the sermon But it did make for an interesting conversation partnered as I tested out these various prompts and questions to get to the heart of Jesus's questions. These questions that Jesus asked ring as true today as they did for those early disciples. And and if ever there was any doubt about whether the incarnate Christ relates to our human experience, just listen to the first question. Who do people say that I am? In other words, what are people saying about me out there? A question many of us continue to ask of ourselves today. The faithful disciples give some predictable first century answers like a prophet or John the Baptist or Elijah. But Jesus is not so much interested in what others will call him. It is not enough to know what others believe. He's interested in us answering this question ourselves, to move away from the universal question and to move towards the particular. Jesus becomes personal with his friends and he turns to his disciples and asks, who do you say that I am? Perhaps Peter was the one who felt Jesus' gaze fall upon him. You know the experience of being in class when no one responds to the teacher's question but you feel like they're looking at you. Perhaps Peter was searching for answers to his own uncertainties. Perhaps Peter had issues with his own and desperately needed word from God. And it is Peter, impetus and impulsive and inconsistent and unlikely Peter, who takes the leap of faith and proclaims that becomes the turning point for the gospel and proclaims, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And like a good day on Jeopardy, Peter nails the answer, and Jesus blesses him and calls him by name. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's more, though, that comes with the gift of faith than blessing. There's also identity and purpose. Suddenly, this conversation is not just about who Jesus is, now it is about who Peter is. It's as if Jesus were saying, now that you know who I am, you can begin to know who you are and who you are about. I don't think this passage is as much about Peter discovering who Jesus is as much as it is about Jesus helping Peter to discover who Peter is in relationship to God. Scholar and chaplain N.T. Wright shares a story about his time as a chaplain at Worcester College in Oxford and how he would intentionally spend a few minutes with each of the incoming undergraduates. And most of the students were happy to meet him, he recalls, but some were embarrassed and a bit squirmish, confessing, you won't see much of me, I don't believe in God. And his stock response was, oh, that's interesting, what God don't you believe in? And after a moment of surprise silence, students would stumble out of a few phrases about the God that they don't believe in, a being who lived up in the sky, disapprovingly looking down at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, or sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share in heaven. An N.T. Wright would respond with another stock answer, well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't either. Shock and surprise on the students' faces, for some, it was a knowing recognition, as it was already rumored that half of the college chaplains were atheists anyways. N.T. Wright would continue, I believe in the God I see revealed in the Jesus of Nazareth. That was the God that Peter had seen. Peter had lived with Jesus, had studied with Jesus, had listened to Jesus' blessings, for the poor and vulnerable had heard Jesus's challenges to the privileged and protected and witnessed Jesus's compassion and care and healing. Peter had experienced a God who drew close to God's people with compassion and hope and love and grace. Confessions of faith are not statements of verifiable facts. To say that Jesus and the Messiah is not a fact about Jesus in the sense that he was like five feet three and weighed 140 pounds, is a fact about Jesus. The latter statement was open to verification by anybody. But the former statement involves conviction and commitment. To see Jesus as Son of God, as Messiah, as living, means to take seriously what we see him as a disclosure of God. And to take seriously, and to take that seriously, is to let it shape our own lives. Who we say we are says a lot about who Jesus is. And what we say about Jesus says a lot about how we move and be in the world. This question, who do you say that I am, has everything to do with who we are willing to be? Can it be that we can hear Jesus' question as less about certainty and more about inquiry? God's grace is the way that we become ourselves. Through God's merciful love and through compassion, through love of ourselves, through our own emotional, spiritual maturity, through participating in justice, through life in its expanse and inclusive, beloved community, our tradition teaches that Jesus is an event of grace, that Jesus is love in the flesh, and that everywhere throughout the Gospels, what we see is God's grace entering the world in Jesus. In Jesus' baptism, grace is the voice that declares that Jesus is God's beloved child. It is grace that still claims, at every one of our baptisms, that you are beloved, that you are God's beloved. In the wilderness, grace delivers Jesus from the temptation to use His power for his own sake. Grace still delivers you from thinking about power as something only for yourself. And in the prodigal son, grace welcomes the lost child home and makes space for him alongside the child that has done everything right. Grace still leads you to forgive sins and to welcome those back who have sinned against you into your family. When Jesus heals those who are sick, grace draws near to suffering and restores body to health and community. Grace still leads you to the side of those who suffer to offer consolation and care. Grace gave Jesus the humility to see the wideness of God's mercy. And grace still gives you the ability to see a world more inclusive than the one we can imagine. Grace led Jesus into a confrontation with the death-dealing powers and the principalities of the world. And grace gave Jesus courage to turn and to face those with power to crucify. And grace gives you that courage. In table fellowship with Jesus, grace makes room for everyone. And grace still makes room for you at the table. Jesus is the event of grace. And I don't know about you, but to imagine my life without Jesus... My life, without all the breaking in, the saving love of God's grace, isn't much of a life at all. When grace comes, when grace finds you and calls you beloved, when grace forgives and claims and sends us out to love and to serve and to nourish the common good, it transforms our existence. As I mentioned, I had some fun with ChatGPT GPT. And while it was mostly just interesting to see what it would come up with in response to my questions, it did bear some fruit. I asked it to write a contemporary retelling of the story of Matthew 16, 13 to 20, and it's not bad. I will give a quick disclaimer that it was tempting to edit the parts where some liberties were taken and to correct a few of the inaccuracies. But like God accepts our shortcomings, I'm accepting the shortcomings of AI technology, at least this morning. So I'll end with the retelling of this story. Listen to the word of the Lord. On a warm summer evening, gathered around the crackling bonfire under the starlit sky, a group of close friends found themselves in deep conversation. Their thoughts drifted from the world's challenges to matters of faith and identity. Who do people say that I am, asked Jesus. The one they'd come to admire, trust, and follow. His question hung in the air, mingling with the scent of burning wood. One friend spoke up. Some say you're a revolutionary, a voice for the voiceless. Another added, people compare you to those who stood up against injustices throughout history. Jesus nodded, his eyes filled with compassion, but then he turned to Simon Peter and asked, but who do you say that I am? And Simon hesitated, searching for words, and finally he responded, you are the embodiment of freedom, love, and grace. You've shown us that in you, We find our truest selves, free from judgment and fear. With a warm smile, Jesus affirmed, Blessed are you, Simon, for you've understood the heart of my message. And I tell you with this realization, you hold the keys to the kingdom where all are free to be their authentic selves, where love transcends all boundaries and where grace abounds. Around that fire, they had felt a profound shift It wasn't just about who Jesus was, but also the identity that they could discover in him. They realized that they were free in Christ, free to love, to serve, and to be their true selves, unburdened by expectations or judgment. With this newfound understanding, they embarked on a journey that would transform their lives and inspire generations to come. May you be so free to live fully into Christ's love and grace so that we may live fully into our truest selves. Amen.